Hello, welcome to The Briefing. It is Monday, the 1st of February, Jan Fran. I know. You know, I feel like I say this so often now, but I can't believe that we're here. I can't believe it's been four weeks since New Year and we're already in the second month of 2021. Don't tell me, it feels like time just gets faster and faster as you get older and older. (laughs) Is that what's happening? Look, I think I'm just getting older. That's exactly what's going on. All right. Today on The Briefing, we're going to take you inside the dark web. Every part of the worst part of the world, just straight on there. It was just all categories in front of you. Mm. It's wild scary. (laughs) It's been 10 years since the Silk Road began, so has it become more mainstream in that time, or is it still the sordid wild west of the internet? Mm. Yep, that's our briefing topic in just a moment. First, let's get into the big news of today. More than 2 million West Australians have been placed into a five-day lockdown after the state's first local COVID case in 10 months. And this is not welcome news. This is not what I wanted to be telling people. Um, I was so uh, pleased, like everyone, the state had been doing so well. But by acting quickly and by everyone cooperating, hopefully, hopefully, uh, we can crush it in its tracks. Yeah, that's the WA Premier Mark McGowan speaking yesterday. The hotel quarantine security guard, so he's a man in his 20s, um, started feeling sick on Wednesday and he didn't go back to work. But he'd visited 16 locations around Perth and there is a list of those venues on the Healthy WA website if you want to check them out. It's feared, though, that he may have caught the more contagious UK strain Yeah, hence the sort of very strong reaction here. The Australian Medical Association's Western Australian President, Andrew Miller, says this man is a victim of an amateurish system. He was working in a system which I believe did not provide him with the appropriate PPE, that is to protect him from airborne virus, did not provide him with adequate ventilation. Now, other states, including New South Wales and South Australia, have updated their health advice regarding anyone from WA. You do need an exemption now to enter South Australia and you have to self-quarantine if you'd been in WA since the 26th of January. New South Wales also has a stay-at-home order if you've been in WA since the 25th. Look, this is a it's a ongoing situation, so I would just say keep yourself updated by checking all of the health websites on the relevant states. There are also federal politicians that are going to have to go into some form of self-isolation as well. They flew over from Perth for the first federal parliamentary sitting day which begins tomorrow, but they're going to have to do it on Zoom. So let's hope their internet connection's good. Yeah, interesting to hear that doctor sort of um, putting the boots into the system there, saying the guy wasn't appropriately kitted out with PPE. It's a very familiar narrative here. This is a hotel quarantine security worker. Uh, He was also a rideshare driver. He also lived in a share house. These are the problems we've seen in other states where these hotel quarantine workers have to find other work and therefore create, you know, a lot of risks in, in those different contact points they make you yeah. know, in the other parts of their lives. And the concern is, you know, we just heard that WA hasn't had a local case for 10 months. That's incredible. Are they equipped to deal with an outbreak potentially? Yeah. So they haven't had the experience of chasing down clusters like the Avalon cluster or the Crossroads cluster in Sydney, uh, where our contact tracing systems in New South Wales were really, really tested. So far, WA has been successful through shutting the border. And a warning from Scott Morrison that there'll be no more blank checks from the government. Yeah, JobKeeper winds down at the end of next month. Uh, The PM will outline an agenda for an economic comeback today. He's also going to give details on the $1.9 billion commitment to roll out the COVID-19 vaccine at hospitals, surgeries and pharmacies as well. Yeah, the government remains confident that our vaccine rollout timeline won't be delayed despite the European Union giving itself the power to block vaccine exports to Australia on the weekend. 
the Pfizer and the AstraZeneca vaccines are both produced in Europe. It doesn't sound good, but the Federal Health Minister, Greg Hunt, reckons he's just not too concerned about that. Um, AstraZeneca rollouts start in late Feb. He says that they're on track to start Pfizer rollouts in early March. This is subject to TGA approval. By the end of March, a further 2 million vaccines that have been produced in Australia will be available. This is according to the Health Minister. Yeah, and the key point about the AstraZeneca vaccine is that, yes, it was produced by a European company, but we can produce our doses here in Australia via CSL. Another point about the economic supports getting wound back, it's going to be really interesting to see what Scott Morrison outlines in that speech today, particularly around JobSeeker. We did an episode on that last week. Basically, you know, a lot of people are worried that that JobSeeker payment, the old Newstart payment, which was $40 a day, will end up going back there. But Scott Morrison said in October that he expects it will be more than it used to be, but we actually haven't had a commitment yet. So it'll be interesting to see if he includes that in his speech today. And I think if he doesn't, one of the journalists sitting at the press club will definitely ask him about it. Oh, definitely. TV presenter and former White Ribbon chairman Andrew O'Keefe has been charged with domestic violence. Yeah, the 49-year-old game show host will front court in Sydney on Thursday after being arrested early yesterday, accused of an assault on a woman understood to be his partner in Ramwick in Sydney's east. And thousands of protesters have been arrested during anti-government rallies in Russia. Yeah, so there's no exact figure here, but varying reports say... Three to 4,000 people were detained by police during a second weekend of demonstrations. Um, crowds across Russia came out in sub-zero temperatures to demand the release of jailed opposition leader Alexei Navalny. Yeah, Navalny left the country last year after being poisoned with the nerve agent Novichok. Um, he blames the Russian government uh, for this. Um, they deny it. Uh, Navalny was arrested upon his return in mid-January. In Vladimir Putin's home city of St. Petersburg, there was a crowd that had gathered in a central square chanting, down with the Tsar. Yeah, so this seems to be building and building, um, this support on the streets around Navalny. It'll be interesting to see where it goes from here. That's a huge amount of people to arrest at one protest, yeah. three or 4,000. Yeah, exactly. And I think there is a changing relationship now between Russia and the United States, particularly with the advent of Joe Biden, who is perhaps not as um, accommodating shall we say, for lack of a better word, to Vladimir Putin in the way that Donald Trump was. All right, in a moment, we'll take you inside the dark web. Anna, you're like me, no idea about technology or software, and you reckon that getting into the dark web was pretty easy. Oh, my gosh, it was terrifyingly easy. I just honestly Googled how to access the dark web and... Essentially, you have to download a specific kind of browser instead of like Google Chrome or Safari and know the IP address um, of exactly the website you want to go to. And then anything you want to see in the whole world is there in front of your eyes. Did you actually punch into Google how to access the dark web and went from there? (laughs) I did. It was that basic because my I had known some people that had bought some naughty things on there and I just thought, God, if they can do it, like, it must be pretty easy. I just want to see kind of for myself. And, yeah, literally Googled how to get on the dark web. (laughs) How many minutes did it take you? I reckon from start to finish maybe half an hour from, like, first typing that into Google to getting onto a website. And that includes, like, really slow download speeds of downloading the browser. (laughs) Okay, so what was the most hectic illegal stuff you saw? 
Oh, like literally front page, guns, drugs, child pornography, like literally wow. every part of the worst part of the world just straight on there. It was just all categories in front of you. Mm. It's wild. It's scary. <laughs> Did you see the dark market, which was the site that was recently busted? I can't remember if that's the one that I use. I think I used the Silk Road one, which is much the same. Like they're all, there's a couple that were quite common, but I do remember that one coming up when I was searching for which website to look at. And have you been back since? No, I'm too scared. I don't have a VPN. And also there's nothing I really want to see on there. It was pretty distressing to be honest and like confronting to know that, you know, it's that bloody easy. If I can do it, my God, anyone can. It's scary. So that was Annie. And that's not her real name, by the way. She's talking about the dark web, which is a a frightening, illegal marketplace. Yeah. In this briefing, we're going to explain what the dark web is and what's happened in the 10 years since Silk Road first launched. Yeah, it's been a wild ride. Silk Road was the first big dark web marketplace to gain notoriety, but even it only lasted two years until this happened. Now to that stunning arrest of the drug kingpin who goes by the name Dread Pirate Roberts. He was the mastermind of a billion-dollar website known as the Silk Road. It allowed users to buy and sell illegal drugs, guns, and even hire hitmen. Life in prison. That's what a judge handed down to Ross Ulbricht. Oh, that did not end well for Dread Pirate Roberts there in 2013. Earlier this month, though, a very similar shutdown happened, and this time an Australian guy was in the crosshairs. An Australian man has been arrested in Germany, accused of operating what prosecutors believe was the biggest illegal marketplace on the dark net. It's been likened to eBay for criminals. Counterfeit cash, stolen credit cards and, quote, drugs of all kinds. So what's going on here? I mean, what happened after Silk Road got shut down and why are these other shutdowns still happening? Why do people keep starting new dark web marketplaces given what happened to the founder of the first one? Yeah, now this market, Dark Market, the one that just recently got shut down, reportedly had half a million users and now it's gone. It's just not there anymore. So let's just start at the very beginning here. What is the dark web exactly? I find it useful to think of the internet as an iceberg right? So the tip is the information that you and I see via search engines like Google. It's the thing that we call the internet. The rest, though, is called the deep web. Now, that's anything that is not discoverable by a search engine because it's not indexed, right? Doesn't mean it's necessarily shady. It can be things like medical records, government databases, academic studies, etc. Now, within the deep web is the dark web, which you need specific software to access. And there you can access these marketplaces for, you know, often illegal things like drugs, guns, counterfeit credit cards, you name it, anything goes. Yeah, let's find out more about it. Dr. Monica Barrett uh, is a researcher at RMIT. She's a drug expert and she's done some of the leading research on the dark web. Monica, this bust of the Australian guy in Germany earlier this month had echoes of the Silk Road bust all those years ago. So it begs the question... What's happened in the meantime? What's changed on the dark web in the last 10 years? Great question. Uh, Really what's happened is cycles over time. I think in 2013 when Silk Road went down, there was this sense of, well, what is going to happen now? And really what we saw in the coming months was a large number of new marketplaces that were mirroring lots of elements of Silk Road but had different innovations as well popping up. 
uh, and then people started to use those. And then over time, there were ebbs and flows. So there would be some years um, where we had, you know, multiple law enforcement busts and suddenly two of the main marketplaces were gone. That happened a couple of times, but eventually things started to change again. So then you would find more marketplaces coming up. I mean, what's been interesting with the Global Drug Survey, where we've been surveying people over time, is we weren't sure whether there would be a stabilisation or even a drop in the number of people or the proportion of people who use drugs who said that they would use the darknet. But we've just seen steady increases over time in people saying they had traded through the darknet in the last 12 months in drugs. So it certainly um, steady increases, I guess, is what I would say over that seven years. What's really interesting is that now that dark market has been taken out of the picture and the most, I guess, the the largest market at the moment, White House market, doesn't actually take Bitcoin. It only takes Monero, which is a more cash-like digital currency than Bitcoin ever was. So this is a quite a change because there's always, for the last 10 years, there's always been that the main market has always accepted Bitcoin. So Bitcoin has been in the news for many other reasons. Um, there's a lot of interest in Bitcoin all around the world. And I think that it, maybe it's outgrown its usefulness in this particular situation now. So that's one of the changes we've seen as well. So is Monero safer for the users? Is it about being tracked down? Why that change in currency? That's exactly right. So Monero has been designed as a cryptocurrency that's been specifically designed to mirror cash. So it doesn't have the public ledger that Bitcoin does. Um, Forensics on Bitcoin activity can trace pretty much all Bitcoins. And so unless you have a very anonymous wallet and you've been very careful with that at all times, always, (laughs) Mm. it it can be traced back to you. And and that's what has happened. Bitcoin has been used in that kind of way by by digital forensic experts. So it was never really meant for this purpose um, 12 years ago when Bitcoin was first created. But, you know, Monero was created for these kinds of purposes. So it's become a currency of um, of utility in the dark net. How disruptive do you think the arrest of this man has been, given that dark market is now offline? Well, it's expected. It, we've gotten to this point now in the community of people that use these sites to expect these sorts of things to happen. So I don't think mm-hmm. there's anybody that goes into this world without realising that markets will go down. And they, they don't just go down due to law enforcement. They will go down because the administrator decides to pull them. That's happened as well. And so that is a risk that I believe people have now counted into their risk so that they know that's going to happen. So it's not as newsworthy as, of course, it first was when Silk Road went down because that was a real shock. Nobody really thought that was going to happen after two and a half years of pretty much it just kept on going and eventually people thought, well, this will this will never stop, and it did. So I think now people have really factored it in. So what do you think the future holds for the dark web and these illegal marketplaces? Because a lot of internet subcultures sort of start on the fringe or even illegally, like Napstar was sort of an illegal precursor to Apple Music, iTunes, mm. um, Hackers sometimes end up becoming um, security experts. So given the way these marketplaces work and the way the technology is used often in these decentralized ways, do you think elements of these dark web marketplaces will become 
mainstream? Do you think even some of the characteristics might be part of bigger trends that are inevitable? Look, I think that's possible. For many people, it's just still too a bit hard. Like for many people, it might be easy enough to go on and have a look, but to actually set up the currencies, to think through the issues around receiving that drug, where is it coming to, what address, these sorts of issues. For some people, you know, potentially the majority of people, it's still a bit too much effort or a bit hard. But Obviously, for that small group of people who find this relatively easy and for some who find it very profitable, then it continues. But what we've also seen in the last few years is an increase in reports of people using um, social media apps or messaging apps or encrypted messaging apps, so things like Wicca, to access drugs. So there might be a WhatsApp group or there might be um, a Wicca contact with someone. Maybe they use Instagram and they, they find someone publicly who says, here's my Wicca. So this sort of thing is utilising apps that a lot of younger people are more familiar with. It, you don't have to go through all these other processes. So the really interesting thing that's happened recently is there's this thing called Televend, which is a kind of cross between darknet markets and messaging apps where you go on to Telegram um, which is really easy to download. Most people know what it is. It's a bit like WhatsApp. Go into Telegram, you follow a Televen group, and then you can just look through all the listings and there are bots there to enable you to purchase, automatically purchase without a person at the other end, drugs which are then sent to you. So this is, I think, it's sort of a hybrid of Darknet, takes out some of the inconvenience, does introduce some security concerns, but for some people, that might be their entry into this sort of thing. So I, I feel like darknet markets, you know, for some people, they, they're looking at it thinking, how can we make these more convenient and more uh, appealing to younger generations that are coming up? That was Dr. Monica Barrett there. She's a drug researcher at RMIT. So I guess to sum it up, Jen, it's 10 years since the Silk Road first started and it's been a messy, messy game of cat and mouse, of internet nerds, criminals technology, police and big jail terms. Oh my God, that is so not my Venn diagram, is it? Not your scene? (laughs) Not my scene. Not mine either. All right, tomorrow on The Briefing, we're looking at COVID-created wealth inequality. A very interesting factoid that Australia's billionaires saw their wealth double in coronavirus. What happened to the rest of us? A Podcast One production.